I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy, a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancourt, and every week I bring together other film enthusiasts to analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we delve into the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. Back again, five-time champion of the world. Five-time champion, champion, (laughs) champion of the world. Uh, David Dassoff from the Geek Garage podcast. Uh, It's great to have you back, sir. This is uh, several, several episodes, but I am excited to talk about this movie film with you. But Mm -hmm. for anybody who is just joining us, welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I am David Dassaw, uh, host of the Geek Garage podcast, as you said. Um, one half of the hosting staff there. Um, I say staff as in for like a professional operation. Paid staff with donuts yeah. in the kitchen and everything. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it is, uh, it, it's me and my wife, more or less. And then uh, every once in a while, more often than not, I'll employ the help of your services. Um, and you know, we'll do a, a guest swap on, uh, you know, podcast for podcast. And it's almost like you're an honorary host at this point in time, Ooh, yay. The, the amount of times that, you know, we've kind of done the guest swapping thing. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we talk about, um, you know, all different kinds of, uh, geek and nerd related topics. Um, you know, in terms of me and cinema, I am a hardcore cinephile. Uh, I, I'd i say horror is probably, uh, it's been like a sleeper cell in my life. Like, I enjoyed it passively growing up, but now, like, I don't know, within the last couple of years, it's been like a freight train from hell. <laughs> just like charging through my life and it's just like what's up david (laughs) so yeah like i i've been watching lots and lots of horror um here the last uh year or so i'm just catching up on all the classics that i missed growing up and watching all the new stuff and so yeah but i enjoy so many other films especially today's film that we're going to discuss so yeah. Well, thanks for coming on again. And Absolutely. I think you're you're right. This uh this could be classified as a horror film if you really <laughs> break it down. But today we are going to be discussing Last Action Hero from 1993. Now, fun fact, uh in the infancy of the Don't Be Crazy podcast, we actually recorded an episode on this, but due to technical difficulties, it was never posted. So it has been a few years since we have done that, and I don't remember anything we talked about, to be to be quite frank. So I was like, let's do this again, and let's get David on here because he knows action stars and he knows uh, shit movies that are also <laughs> good movies that, like, you know, pe- people are just crazy about. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, I, I have I have garbage opinions, which means that I'm. <laughs> I'm good for this type of movie. Like I, I love shit that like other people love to hate on. So, uh, yeah, this, 
this was a fun one. I'm excited to dive into it. Me too. It was directed by John McTiernan, who did Die Hard, Predator, and The Hunt for Red October, to name a few. It was written by Zach Penn, Shane Black, Adam Leff, David Arnott, and William Goldman and Carrie Fisher had some script presence too, which is pretty crazy. Mm. So yeah, that's right. That's cool. Uh, Princess Leia herself. Yeah. Stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Charles Dance, Austin O'Brien, F. Murray Abraham, Bridget Wilson-Sampras, Tom Noonan, Robert Prosky, and Frank McRae. Critically, on IMDb, it did not do so well. It was a 6.4 out of 10, which isn't terrible, actually. That's a D that's passing. But on the tomato meter for Rotten Tomatoes, 40% for that that critic score and 47% for the audience score. So people didn't like this for some reason. I wonder yeah, if they were watching the same movie, but uh, they didn't like it. Yeah, that's that's bogus. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I don't really understand that. That's no. Stupid to me. Um, I watched it on Netflix and it is also available on Hulu. What did you mm-hmm. watch it on? Netflix, because I didn't feel like watching ads. And yeah. I already uh, Netflix is currently my most underutilized uh, streaming platform right now and Same. it's also the one that i pay the most for because we have yeah. the family plan and we you know pay for the the ultimate high def so it's it's literally like i think the most you could pay for netflix it's like 21 and some change a month so it's crazy um, especially and, with the password cracking down that they're doing oh my, now like yeah it's, it's stupid man yeah i've seen people like take screenshots of uh you know if it's not their account they're sharing it um and that like their login screen just says like uh <laughs> i forget what it says. it's just like you know looks like you're using this account from uh a wi-fi that's different than the one it's registered under or something like that and i'm like it has begun <laughs> So stupid. It's yeah. it's just crazy, man. I mean, I also don't really watch Netflix much. I don't subscribe to it. I am a, a password borrower. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens. But yeah, yeah it, it's, what, it's just one of those things that the content has it started out good and, you know, is one of the first real streaming services. But Netflix has uh, dived down so much. They've gone downhill so much. Mm-hmm. But it's it's their original content is just not as great as it used to be. I mean, you still yeah. get like Black Mirror and I think you should leave. And then sometimes there's a good documentary. But a lot of the things seem like, you know, facsimiles of what they were. And so it's like, oh, sweet. The same true crime documentary. <laughs> Yeah, I I think, yeah, you you are right. Um, You know, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent with this and Mm -hmm. take up too much time. But yeah, like like you were saying, Netflix was the leader in original content. And now I feel like that has um, branched off to more of um, in the realm of HBO, who's kind of always been the leader in original content, especially since like the days of The Sopranos. Um, And it's only gotten better. Um, and, uh, recently Apple TV plus, like mm-hmm. I, I finally started watching Ted Lasso. I, so now, <laughs> I now understand what all the hype is about. It's so good. Um, yeah. And silo is fucking amazing. I normally don't dig on, uh, utopian slash dystopian, uh, shows because, uh, or movies because they're always like young adult, but this one isn't. And it's got Rebecca Ferguson in it. It was amazing. Amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, they got some other great stuff on there. So you wanted a utopia, but instead you got a fruitopia. (laughs) 
That was from The Simpsons. That was when Stephen Hawking was on The Simpsons. He he typed it with his little computer. That was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, So for um, Last Action Hero, the budget was $85 million. And in the U.S. and Canada, it grossed $50 million. Opening weekend, which was on June 20th, 1993. So we're coming up on the 30th anniversary. Can you Mm -hmm. believe that? $15.4 million, we'll say. Gross worldwide, it made $137.3 million. Um, So kind of successful, but not as successful as you would think with a huge, huge name like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was like Mm -hmm. the king of the 80s and 90s. Right. But uh, we'll get into that. So Charles Dance, uh, the glass eye villain in this one, he said in an interview that after being told that he won the part, that was originally turned down by Alan Rickman because of the salary. He wore a t-shirt on set that said, I'm cheaper than Alan Rickman. <laughs> and I think that's great because just poking fun at the great Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. Also, Tim Curry was considered for the role of Benedict, who was the villain. I think Tim Curry would have been fantastic. You'd have been like, your stolen credit card. <laughs> your stolen credit card. <laughs> yeah, plus two, like- plus two, plus one. Yeah, I, it's uh, it's so funny. I uh, when I first learned that he was the original Pennywise, I was like, "You mean that fucking desk clerk from Home Alone too? <laughs> the one exactly. that was friends with Rob Schneider? Like, yeah. like we like, love you. <laughs> like, how am I supposed to take that clown seriously? I mean, am I supposed to? Yeah. Oh, he's great. Anyways. So good. So just after Frank's house explodes, the black cop says two days to retirement as a nod to Roger Murtaugh, played by Dana Glover, from the Lethal Weapon film franchise. And at that point, a soundtrack excerpt from the Lethal Weapon theme plays in the background. It's like a saxophone that was always uh, prevalent in the Lethal Weapon movies. And I noticed that when I saw it when I was younger. When Danny Madigan is arguing with Jack Slater over checking to see if Benedict is dead after the two play chicken, he makes a reference to a villain in Die Hard also directed by John McTiernan, who comes back at the end of the movie after being presumed dead. Shortly afterwards, a soundtrack excerpt from the Die Hard theme plays in the background. I did not pick up on that one, though. So for anyone who hasn't seen Last Action Hero, here is a spoiler-filled synopsis. Go ahead and fast-forward about three and a half to five minutes if you don't want to hear it. Danny Madigan is a 10-year-old boy living in a crime-ridden area of New York City with his widowed mother, Irene. Following his father's death, Danny takes comfort in watching action movies, especially a series featuring the indestructible Los Angeles cop Jack Slater at his local movie theater owned by Nick, who also acts as the projectionist. Nick gives Danny a golden ticket once owned by Harry Houdini to see an early screening of Jack Slater 4 before its official release. During the film, the ticket ticket stub magically transports Danny into the fictional world, interrupting Slater in the middle of a car chase. After escaping from the pursuers, Slater takes Danny to the LAPD headquarters where Danny points out evidence of the fictional nature of Slater's world, such as the presence of numerous attractive women and a cartoon cat detective named Whiskers, and says that Slater's friend, John Practice, should not be trusted as he killed Mozart since he he is played by the same actor as Antonio Soleri in Amadeus. Though Slater dismisses all of this as part of Danny's wild imagination, Slater's supervisor, Lieutenant Decker, assigns Danny as his new partner and instructs them to investigate criminal activities related to mafia boss Tony Vivaldi. Danny guides Slater to Vivaldi's mansion, recognizing its location from the start of the movie. There they meet Vivaldi's henchman, Mr. Benedict. 
Danny later claims that Vivaldi and Benedict were the ones who killed Slater's second cousin, but Slater has no evidence and they are forced to leave. However, Benedict is curious as to how Danny knew and he and several hired guns follow Slater and Danny back to Slater's home. There, Slater, his daughter, Whitney, and Danny thwart the attack, though Benedict ends up getting the ticket stub. He discovers its ability to transport him out of the film and into the real world. Slater deduces Vivaldi's plan to murder the rival mob by releasing a lethal gas during a funeral atop a skyscraper. He and Danny go to stop it, but are waylaid by Practice, who reveals that Danny was right. He is working for Vivaldi. Whiskers kills Practice, saving Slater and Danny, and the two manage to prevent any deaths from the gas release. Learning that Vivaldi's plan has failed, Benedict kills him, and he uses the stub to escape into the real world, pursued by Slater and Danny. Slater becomes despondent upon learning the truth, as well as his mortality in the real world, but cheers up after spending some time with Irene. Meanwhile, Benedict devises a plan to kill the actor portraying Slater in the movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, after which he can bring other villains from other movies into the real world and take over. To help Benedict brings the Ripper, the villain of Jack Slater 3, to the premiere of Jack Slater 4 to assassinate Schwarzenegger. Danny and Slater learn of this and race there. Slater saves Schwarzenegger and kills the Ripper. Benedict appears and shoots Slater, critically injuring him. Danny subdues and disarms Benedict, allowing Slater to grab his revolver and shoot Benedict in his explosive glass eye, killing him. However, the blast causes the stub to be lost. With Slater losing blood, Danny knows the only way to save him is return him to the fictional world where it will become a mere flesh wound. The ticket stub falls in front of a theater playing the film The Seventh Seal, where the figure of death emerges from the screen. Death appears before Danny and Slater after they arrive at the theater in a hurry. Danny holds death at gunpoint, but death clarifies he was simply curious. Jack Slater is missing from his lists and of when people will die, and Danny is slated to die as a grandfather. Death then suggests searching for the other half of the ticket. Danny finds it and is able to take uh, Slater back into his movie, where his wounds instantly heal. Danny returns to the real world before the portal closes. A recovered Slater then enthusiastically embraces the true nature of his reality when he talks to Decker about his new plan, appreciating the differences between the two worlds. Danny and Nick share a heartfelt moment reminiscing their past, while Slater drives away on the screen, waving goodbye. So that's Last Action Hero, 1993 gem um, amidst everything. I mean, Terminator came out in 92, I think, or 91. So, you know, Stallone has a quite the run here. Um, and it's, it's it's interesting because action films are are a big part of my life. Um, I mean, I grew mm-hmm. up with them. I grew up watching 80s and 90s action movies and just love them to pieces, e- even for all of their their faults. Right. They're like they're like kids, even even with their faults. They still love the shit out of them. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and one of my favorite types of filmmaking in the more recent years has been meta cinema. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, metacinema is a mode of filmmaking in which the film informs the audience that they are watching a work of fiction. It's self-awareness. Last Action Hero fits this definition to a T, in my opinion. But David, in your opinion, how is metacinema done right? Um, you know, and I'm thinking Last Action Hero walked, so films like Scream, Tropic Thunder, and Cabin in the Woods, and even Free Guy could run, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, <clears throat> so... I think meta cinema is first and foremost, it's um, not foremost, but um, it's like one of those things where it's difficult to define despite you just defining it. 
Um, but like it, it's best described with examples, like, and you know it when you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when trying to be meta, it's easy to fall into a trap of accidentally going in the direction of either satire or parody. So I think that is probably the best uh, direction to go in is to analyze whether you're actually trying to do a parody or not, mm-hmm. and then go in the opposite direction. <laughs> um, Cause I mean, I, I've, you know, I, I, I've seen several movies that are like trying to be a little meta, but they end up just being parodies. Like, you know, you'll, you have like your, your scary movie franchise and that's very self-aware that it's uh, that it's a parody but I've seen films that are like, you know, we're going for a meta thing, but it looks like scary movie. And you're like, no, that's an F. Um, but it, in, you know, in terms of like how it's done, right. I honestly don't know. Um, you know, I, like I said, I, I just, I know it when I see it. Um, I, you know, you mentioned Tropic Thunder, scary movie, uh, free guy. That was a great example. Um, the uh, it, i think it was billed as like the last or one of the last nightmare on elm street films uh or maybe it was the last one that Wes craven directed um a new nightmare but, yeah yeah um that was kind of like scream before mm-hmm. scream existed it definitely was yeah. yeah um and yeah like it's just um i feel like it also can't have really any eye rolly moments like you know when when it's getting uh, you know when it's being self-referential you know you can't elicit any response from the audience Mm -hmm. that's like oh my god like okay all right we're we're doing this now we get it yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i mean it's okay to have like one or two of those in the film like you know it's going to be unavoidable but you know, if it's laced with that, you know, uh, you know, it's bad news bears. Um, so yeah, I, you know, that's, that's kind of my take. I, you know, I'm not a, like I said, a, a meta cinema head. Um, you know, I'm definitely not as you can well see, well versed in, you know, this subset of cinema, but I am definitely interested in learning more about it. So yeah. yeah, and for everything that you said too, I mean, I know that you recently watched Spaceballs, and that mm-hmm. is a perfect example of oh, a yeah. meta film. I mean, for just sure. lo- look at the VHS scene when he's like, "Well, what do we need to do about Lone Star?" And he's like, "Wait, hang on," and they go over and they see all the Mel Brooks movies and they see Spaceballs. <laughs> Fast forward it to the point where they're at, you know, now they're like, "What is this?" They're like, "This is the middle of the movie." They're like, "This is now?" Yeah, they're like this is now. And so, as an audience member, you're kind of laughing as you're like. Wait, we're watching them, watching them, who's watching them, and then watching them. Yeah. And it's it, it's done well. And obviously Spaceballs is a satire and it's it's supposed to be hilarious and it's it's spoofing the sci-fi genre. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when you're when you're being meta with a specific genre, like action for Last Action Hero, or like horror for Scream or for a new nightmare, as long as you understand the audience and the subject material and you're not overtly trying to prove a point or be condescending in scream the beauty of it is 
they're these naive teenagers who think they know everything, especially Randy, and they go through the rules. And he says that you can't do these things, you can't party, you can't have sex, you can't do this. And all the characters understand that, yet they still end up doing exactly <laughs> every every one of those tropes that we see in a horror film. And right. I think that's why Scream is so brilliant. It's because at the end of the day, it's still a horror film, yeah. um, no matter what. Same thing with the cabin in the woods and the cabin in the woods exposes all of those to to a highly different level. Um, but I still love the shit out of that movie. Mm-hmm. Blazing Saddles, too. It, it satires the racism that was in uh, the spaghetti westerns. Like we, whether you believe it or not, you know, there was a ton of it. And yes. Then, yeah. You get like uh, other other kind of comedic action films like Deadpool. Deadpool's very meta. Um, mm-hmm. Anytime you break the fourth wall, I like think that for- can be said. Yeah, like for God's sake, they reference the DC universe. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Deadpool too. So dark. Are you sure you're not from the DC universe? <laughs> I know. It, it's like it's crazy because it's some of the stuff that you. It, it, it's some of the stuff you wouldn't expect in in this property, mm-hmm. and that's why it was so good. I mean, it's also a really funny movie. But yeah, um, yeah adaptation too. Uh, that's a just a, a bonkers type of movie, but it's a Charlie Kaufman movie about Charlie Kaufman trying to write a script. And so it's it's so fascinating because it's, you know, you trying to write a, a movie about yourself or the immeasurable weight or unbearable weight of uh, massive, massive talent. talent. Uh, that is very meta as well. Mm-hmm. I think that one kind of it was that one was fine, but I think that one missed the mark on, on a lot of things. But I mean, as long as you understand the audience, that's what's key. And with last, last action hero, the reason I think they do it so well is because they call out all those tropes. And we as a viewer are Danny Madigan. We're like, everyone here is way too attractive to be, you know, a normal video store <laughs> clerk or right. you know, where are the not attractive people? And he, he calls it out too. He's like, wait, we're on a movie set. That's how we change scenes so quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, he doesn't say, but like, you know, uh, in Blockbuster, like, where are the neck beards? <laughs> like, yeah, where yeah, are I'm the wait- prototypical employees I'm expecting to see? Like, the yeah. unfuckable white dudes that don't have exactly. anything better to do than to work on a Friday night. Yeah, Exactly. And he's like the catchphrases, the fact that Arnold changes the little mini disc player to another song. So it's that <sighs> diegetic slash non-diegetic sound going on. I think that's mm-hmm. so brilliant. And yeah, when I was a kid, I didn't really get it. But as I got older, I'm like, oh, my God, I love this so much because yeah. it's just stuff that you think about, too. Right. Um, and for as ridiculous as it is, even when they go into the real world. Yeah, there are higher stakes like Arnold can get shot in the chest, but it's still a movie at the end of the day because he gets shot in the chest and he doesn't die. Um, Mm -hmm. He throws Danny up on the roof with ease. He does all of these things as a fictional character and you're still like watching an action film that's outside of an action film. Yeah, for sure. But um, I I think I think for all those things and more, that's that meta meta can really hit the mark if you if you know your audience and you have a good director. Or, and writer at that, yeah. too, writers. Yeah, agreed. So Arnold Schwarzenegger, you say his name to anyone, and I'm sure you'll get someone impersonating his voice or talking about his muscle-bound action career. They're going to go, ah, get to the chopper or whatever, right? <laughs> You're going to have someone say, it's not a Tuma. So he, he did have some hardcore action classics like Conan and Predator, but he also put in great work in deeper films like Total Recall and True Lies. Total Recall is actually my favorite Arnold movie of all time, and I love the shit out of that movie. So I want to ask you, is Arnold a good actor? So I think so. Um, 
but I, I will follow it, follow it up with uh, some caveats, uh, if you will, uh, for lack of better words, I guess. Sure. So to me, this is similar to like ranking the event, like Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. up against Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, both films, I gave five stars. Um, you know, we'll aside, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put aside the fact that not everyone is going to agree with me on that. That's just me personally. I gave them both five stars. Um, but are they quote unquote the same? No, like not really. No. Um, like, cause you consider Avengers Endgame a popcorn flick and once upon a time in Hollywood, a film more or less mm-hmm. you know, once again, for lack of better words. Uh, so I think it really boils down to how well an actor can play that role. Do they understand the assignments? Like Keanu Reeves might not be on par with Daniel day Lewis. Uh, you know, he might not be able to play a, uh, you know, a a, a, a sewer, a, a, what's a male seamstress, um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. a tailor. Taylor. Um, there we go. Let's uh, say or uh, an oil monger baron. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can't imagine anyone else as fucking John Wick as Keanu Reeves can knock out that role. Um, so, you know, bringing it back around as long as Arnie understands the assignments, which in most cases I think he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I believe we can consider him to be a good actor. Um, yeah you know so exactly he fits he fits the roles that he's cast into and he plays them really well and he gives it some heart and i think in this movie he definitely does too specifically when nick um you know is like oh it's so great to meet you mr slater i've seen all your movies and blah 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 and he sits down and he's kind of coming to terms with the fact that he's a fictional character and he's pissed because He's like, why would you do that to me? Give me a backstory about my son dying and having this life and being divorced. Like, I'm glad that that entertained you. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. I'm glad mm-hmm. that entertained you. But like, I just now realized that this was all made up for me for entertainment. And I thought that that was really profound. I'm like, that's actually really accurate. We think about that a lot. And, you know, they're just characters on the screen. But when push comes to shove, he's he's still a person. And so I think Arnold delivered that really well. And he yeah. does. He, he fits the roles that he needs to, to be in. And in Terminator 2, he was great. Um, monotone, big, muscly, scary. But when he was with John and when he did the things like, uh, you know, giving him high fives and hasta la vista, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just works out really well, in my opinion. He's not stiff. He's not rigid. He's doing what he needs to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'll... Running Man and Total Recall are two of some of my favorite Arnold movies. Total Recall obviously is my favorite, but he just does such a good job of diving into that science fiction and working with the material, the material he has and taking the direction that is given to him. So, I I mean, I think he's a good actor, um, Mm -hmm. no matter how you shake it. I think Stallone is a better actor, and we've seen that in later years from Stallone. I'll I'll agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I mean, I haven't seen, uh, you know, for fuck's sake, I just watched, you know, if you listen to the uh, Geek Garage, uh, we, we did. Never mind. Um, I, I just recently watched all the Rocky movies and um, those movies uh, like they have lulls where 
you get character developments. Whereas with a lot of like Arnold movies, like sometimes that happens, but a lot of the times, you know, it's just him like, you know, interacting with other characters or whatever, less character development. I, I feel like, um, Stallone's characters, like, especially in the Rocky movies, like he has a lot of room to develop as a character. So yeah. you get that like profound growth and the ability to like for for him to stretch his acting legs totally you know and show some range absolutely so last action hero was not a box office or critical success according to these these weirdies on the internet can't believe everything on the internet so i guess my question would be why did this movie not resonate well with audience and critics well um so this came out in 93 right yeah so obviously before the internet, um, so all those reviews, I guess, were added to Rotten Tomatoes after Rotten Tomatoes was a thing. Uh, so that's, I, I don't know exactly how they factor all that in, um, you know, and how many of those reviews were from people who are like critics that saw the film like growing up mm-hmm. and then rated it you know, as a grown up versus like just seeing it as a grown up. But um, I think you have to put it in perspective, like, uh, you know, any other old, uh, o- older movie that you may watch for the first time at a later age. Like, you know, this was not early in Arnold's career, but like, I wouldn't say he's done a ton of like, quote unquote family action films up mm-hmm. till this point. Like he's done Predator. He's done the two uh Terminator films. Um Total Recall, I think, was before this. Um and so when this came along, I don't think people knew how to react to it. And so I think that played a big part. Like I, yeah they see Arnold and they're like, wait, he's not like chopping someone's head off with a giant sword or riding a motorcycle and like slinging a shotgun, like doing a 360 with it and managing to, you know, <laughs> to cock them. Um, it's yeah. So I, I think it kind of came out of left field for a lot of people that were, that wanted to see him in action films. They're like, you know, what is he with this kid? And you know, it's marketed as a family film. Like what the hell is going on? But another big thing is like, I think this film was way ahead of its time. Um, you know, we just discussed the, the, the meta aspect of it. I don't think there was a ton of this at the time. Um, I, I feel like it's a relatively newer thing within the last 20, 30 years or so. And yeah, like I texted you about 20 minutes after I started watching it and it, it had been a long time since I've seen this movie. Uh, so I, you know, while I was watching it, I didn't have too much recollection of watching when I was younger. I recognized certain parts, but for the most part, I was like, man, I really has been a long time since I've seen this. But, um, you know, when he's like, when the kid is like getting chased around at the beginning, um, mm-hmm. like I think in, I think it's in an apartment in his apartment or yeah, his apartment. Uh, yeah. That felt straight out of like any Marvel property right now. Like that whole sequence. I, I was like, this is a Marvel movie. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way. Like, 
like the, the fun, like back and forth, the quick cuts, like, you know, the, the camera movements and following mm. him around and, you know, getting chased after, like, it felt like fun action that we'd see today. And I was like, holy shit, like this movie is doing what, uh, like the type of filmmaking that we love to see in like Marvel and, and action uh, and comic book movies nowadays, but it did it in 93 almost you know 30 years ago um and uh yeah um you know like i said it's just uh, this felt way ahead of its time so i I think those two aspects played a major factor in why this was probably not super well received in theaters yeah i i think you're right i think audiences weren't ready for it you know you have the draw of arnold schwarzenegger i mean he he had done kindergarten cop and twins at that point which were two vastly different films from what he previously has done his 80s action spectaculars sure. but i mean he followed up this movie with true lies right and mm. and like that movie's just absolutely incredible and then he goes to junior which was terrible where he plays a <laughs> pregnant doctor and oh my was god Weird. He even says the line in it, too, which is super topical now. My body, my choice. And I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he definitely he, he goes back and forth because in 96, Eraser. But then also in 96, Jingle All the Way. <laughs> it's like <laughs> a one for one type of thing. Um, but like like I just you know said before in the meta stuff, if people had a grasp of how good meta is for film and how fun it is to be self-referential and to call out the things that that draw us to why we love film so much. I mean, again, we're all Danny Madigan. We're sitting watching these movies and calling it out. In the scene when he's like, both cops dead, Jack's fine, right? You know, minor injuries. Like, that's mm-hmm. the kind of shit that I do when I see it. I'm like, oh, he's going to get killed right here or whatever. It's that predictableness, uh, predictiveness, you know, when we go in and we're like, well, that's going to happen. This is going to happen. This person's a bad guy. Oh, sweet. I was right. So I don't want to call it cynical, but I mean, we still, that's why we go to the movies and enjoy it. Um, I like your comparison, though, to the Marvel, the Marvel feel and, and, right. and getting there. But uh, cool. Yeah. So I don't know. I said live. We both both of us. We love us some good action movies. I mean, I know I do. I've already said it several times and I know that you just love movies in general. So I'm imagining Mm -hmm. you like some good action movies. Of course. So out of the action movies, what are some of your favorite action tropes? Uh, So. We uh, we see this in a lot of a uh, lot of franchises, um, you know, like long running franchises. And the first one that comes to mind is the the Fast and Furious one, um, where the villain in the previous film will become part of the quote unquote good guys in the <laughs> yeah. current film. So you so know, we, we had it with Jason Statham, uh, like his character uh, and his brother. Um, you know, both of them ended up, uh, you know, they're more of like supporting characters, you know, they're not in it for the whole thing, although they might have a larger role in the the new movie. I haven't seen it yet, but, um, so yeah, that, that's always kind of fun when you see that. Cause like it, like it, it just adds more to the, the good guy side. So you're like, awesome. Like, you know, that 
badass villain from the last movie. Like he's on the good guy side now. And so it's just like big, dumb fun that you're just like, okay, I accept that. Like, mm-hmm. cause they went to fucking space in the last movie. So, you know what? Fuck it. All bets are off. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's fun to see that, um, in, uh, in certain action movies. Um, personal sustainability, how characters can get knocked down a seemingly endless amount of times, but keep getting back up. Like, like in, I mean, John wick is, I think a prime example. Oh gosh. Like, like yeah. So crazy. Especially the fourth one. You're like, what? How, yeah, I, he just got hit by a car. How is he alive? <laughs> he fell through like 18 different three story <laughs> windows. Yeah. Uh, not to mention like, I mean, try not to spoil it, but like, you know, the big staircase scene, like literally big staircase scene, like he might as well have gotten to the very top. And then that big fucker like just comes out of nowhere again. Like you thought the dog got him. Um, and no, like he's back. And then he knocks John wick, like basically down to the bottom of the stairs. And you're like, fuck, (laughs) How many, how many more? We only got like three minutes and like my pits are just like, just <laughs> steaming. Like I am airing them out. Like, uh, yeah. So, uh, that's always fun when, you know, you, uh, you know, uh, someone that, you know, for a fact, isn't mm-hmm. like a superhero. Mm-hmm. They're just some regular guy, but you have to accept the fact that they're going to get punched in the face and kicked in the balls and, you know, fall down a million times and they're still going to be able to get back up. Like, I just, I love that. Um, you're just like, you know, okay, why not? Um, and then just in general, like how every, uh, film in a franchise, like has to one up the last one. Like Mm -hmm. it kind of keeps you in suspense in terms of like, you know, Oh, what are they going to do? Um, and I think a good example for this is the mission possible franchise. Like Mm. every single movie, uh, I think for the most part has managed to like one up itself in, in, at least in terms of one scene in particular, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that it, it was more ambitious than the last one. Um, I am kind of bummed about like the new one, how they've already shown so much like footage, either like behind the scenes, like making of, or in the trailer itself of the infamous, um, motorcycle jump off the cliff. Any base jumps, uh, that was apparently the scene where he broke his, I think foot or ankle or leg or maybe all three. And (laughs) so he was at a commission for like a really long time and they couldn't film because, Tom Cruise, of course, insists on doing his own stunts. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, all that's besides the point, but yeah, that's just one example of how they just have to, you know, keep one and up one upping each other, you know, and him swinging off the side of the fucking Burj Khalifa. Uh, so yeah, that's, um, that's kind of some of my favorite action tropes. I I feel like yours are probably going to be better but those are no. those are just some of mine i i agree with you on those ones i mean those are ones i don't even think about quite honestly and then i'm like oh yeah duh that makes sense yeah i mean, I, I think of things like you know racing against the clock where mm-hmm. it's like oh you know this bomb is gonna explode and it comes down to one second and i'm like jesus christ every <laughs> single time it's always one second or two yeah. seconds even in mission impossible fallout they have that the ticking clock 
Mm-hmm. Um, I love cheesy one-liners. I go ape shit yes. for cheesy one-liners. It's one of my favorite things. You know, let off some steam, Bennett. And it's so good. Um, that's probably one of my favorite action movie tropes. Um, I do love a good final boss fight. So mm-hmm. when you have a, a villain or in the case of Expendables 2, Jean-Claude Van Damme, who is villain, when you have a fight, a one-on-one fight with him and Stallone, I mean, I am just like, hell yeah, it's finally come down to this. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. So um, it's pretty great stuff. John Wick also does a lot of one-on-one fights, too, especially in John Wick 3 when he fights those different to the different levels and then um, does the sword fight at the end. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't like when they do they get the gang together for one last job i mean sometimes it's kind of cool but it's i don't know sometimes it gets really annoying so that one's kind of annoying um i do love seeing someone do a training montage Mm -hmm. i mean all anytime you see someone gearing up ready for battle i I love the shit out of that but those are some of my favorite action tropes for sure yeah agreed they're all good they're pretty great and they draw me to action films all the time. Okay. So let's say that you also found a magic ticket that Mr. Harry Houdini gave you. What fictional character or characters would you want to sidekick with and pull to the real world? Uh, Tony Stark or Peter Parker. Ooh, good, good choice. Tony Stark would be, man, he'd be weird. He'd be hard a hard nut to crack at first because you'd have to break him over the course of a few movies. But then he would be like that fatherly figure like he was to Peter Parker. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, I feel like he would take you to all these crazy parties um, and uh, you guys would like drive in his convertible and you get there like really, really fast driving up the PCH. Um, and uh, and he would pay for everything. Uh, so he'd kind of be like your sugar daddy, except on a platonic <laughs> level. Um, and then like Peter Parker would just be like fun as fuck because he's oh, nerdy man. and smart as hell. Um, and he could help me with my homework. Like, because uh, <laughs> I was always terrible at school. Like I just was never good. And so for Peter to be nerdy, uh, not have any friends, like all the the social pariah aspects that yeah. I uh succumb to as a a youth um minus the smarts like everyone you know like growing up you you know if you're antisocial everyone just assumes that you're smart because what else do you have to live for <laughs> yeah um but uh i was like make no mistake i am in fact dumb as fuck uh <laughs> so having you know a friend like peter i think would be super fun and especially if he decides to confide in you his uh his spider-man um alter ego persona so i'd be like i know i know your secret i know your secret yeah Um, what about you so for me i'd probably say indiana jones i think that good one that would be so great and we saw as short round was with i know dr jones that would be that'd be amazing i would love the hell out of that can we get short rounds for the new indie like like so when we finally decide yeah, when we finally decide to retire Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. um, I'm thrilled that he's in the new one. Um, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But eventually, he will have to pass on, literally. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that they should have um, Kihoi Kwan to 
uh, take his place because oh, yeah. he is fucking phenomenal. And he's proved that he's got all kinds of acting chops and martial arts chops. Um, so yeah, um, I think he would be amazing. I'd be down but, with that. Yeah. Anyways, I see that uh, Batman, of course, I'm a huge mm-hmm. Batman fan. So for me to be able to be a sidekick to Batman, you know, kind of like as Robin or to get him out to the real world would be amazing. It'd yeah. be an adjustment to the real world, but I think that going and and pulling Batman out would just be so cool to see, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, I think Harry Potter would just be really fun because, you know, he's such a good guy and I love Harry Potter and it makes me just happy to to be around and watch those things. Um, yeah. And then so- someone like Aragorn or, or um, Gandalf just from mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings because... Uh, who wouldn't want to be around a wizard? Like that would be so cool. Exactly. All right then. Fuck your secrets. Yeah. Be like fucking secrets. Keep yeah. your secrets. Keep your secrets. Go smoke your your pipe tobacco, which we all know is weed, you asshole. Right. <laughs> Don't hide it's it. Weed. Yeah. This will be a very fine night indeed. Absolutely. So, David, one thing I love about film is that you can derive meaning and theme from any movie that you watch. Analyzing art simply just takes describing what you see and then asking why the creators chose to do so. Two simple things to analyze any piece of art. I've thought about this movie over the multiple times that I've seen it, and I believe it can be a lot deeper than what people give it credit for. Are there any themes or hidden meanings you can develop from Last Action Hero? Uh, yeah, so I don't know if this is just a consequence of this topic being on my brain, and, uh, like right now at the time, and I just kind of like, oh yeah, this kind of applies to this movie, or if it, uh, I literally gleaned this from it, uh, you know, unwillingly, and um, it is um, that I think this movie helps show the fun and entertaining side of fandoms. Uh, you know, nowadays uh, with internet culture and just being bogged down with information so much, so much of the time that like we know everyone's business and we know how everyone feels about everything. And it like sucks the fun out of stuff when, you know, people f- like people complain about star Wars movies and you know, I'm just like, Hey, how about you shut the fuck up? You're supposed to be fun. And if you can't enjoy <laughs> star Wars, then I don't know what to tell you. Um, and so I feel like right now it's, it's become more increasingly difficult to enjoy stuff for what it is, uh, rather than have these like, <clears throat> rather than like setting, trying to set aside your high expectations, um and like demand from the creators that this be the most epic piece of art that they've ever made in their entire lives mm-hmm. um and i think that like i said this movie helps show us like you know that that things can be fun and that fandoms are fun like we see the kid point out like all the clichés and tropes that we all see in action films to prove his point that they are in fact in an action movie um he writes fuck on the card and he says say this and he's like he's like grow up and he's like you can't say it because it's pg-13 and i'm like that is awesome (laughs) right yeah exactly um you know and like we go learn everything there is to know about um you know the 
the the movie or show or comic book or whatever that we've decided to obsess over and then we try to find other people that also obsess over that thing and this can lead down two rows uh roads like this could be healthy you can take this in a healthy direction or you could take this in uh, in, in an unhealthy direction mm-hmm. um <clears throat> you know you can accept things at face value, accept that not everything within your fandom is going to be perfect. Um, and take things with a grain of salt, enjoy the things that you do enjoy and understand that if new stuff in that fandom or franchise comes out that you don't particularly like, it doesn't erase the past that the stuff that came out previously that you do love is still in fact there. And that, that new stuff may actually be something that someone else enjoys. Mm hmm. That is the ideal place to be, in my opinion. Um, and I think that this movie, like, kind of subtly does a good job at, like, in its meta ness, like, reminding us that, you know, like, these films are here for us to enjoy and have a good time and, you know, forget about, you know, the gas bill for a couple the hours. Gas bill. Yeah. Gas, man. How do they know I got gas? <laughs> You, uh cable you just, guy you just described star wars fans david i mean that <laughs> yeah. is star wars fans to a t they are the ones that you know don't change the past and then when ryan johnson comes in and does the last jedi people are like you know well yeah don't change the past but then others are like well we want something different because we don't like the force awakens and then he changes it and people are like well this is stupid because it's different i'm like well yeah yeah it's like we want something different okay here's something different no not like that not like not that. that different we want something else different i don't want yeah, no broom boy yeah so. a different different uh it's like we didn't want to see where the blue milk is made like <laughs> right out of the teat <laughs> right it's just yeah like sh- you know shut up like well, just Watch it and be happy. Those God toxic fandoms. I mean, I think, and if I may, you're getting at the the difference between passion and obsession for, mm-hmm. for things. And I think it's very important to be passionate about film. Like, I'm very passionate about film, um, but I am not obsessed with movies in the sense of it's going to ruin my life if, if they change, uh, they gender swap a character. <laughs> I'm going to be like, I just want to ask, why is this movie even necessary if you're just doing a remake? Like, if you're adding something new to the existing story, then hell yeah. But if you are just doing a remake for dollars, then that will make me mad. But, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I I don't get upset as much with things. I mean, I'll be like, well, that was a waste of time. And I'll be like, well, that that movie really sucked. I was looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, we were talking about Halloween, you know? I mean, I forgot about that movie when it it was done. I'm like, well, that sucks. (laughs) So it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of funny. We're, we're on this, you know, little subtopic, but, uh, because I just finished reading, uh, misery by Stephen King. Um, of course, mm-hmm. you know, Love so many people. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very popular movie. One of the most, you know, if you say like name three Stephen King film adaptations, you know, most people are going to name misery. Uh, mm-hmm. and for good reason, uh, I actually think the, the movie is a bit better. Like I rank that w- high up with like fight club as like so just good. a smidge better, better than the, uh, the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that kind of, that was like cluing into obsessive fans before 
it was really an internet thing. Yeah. Like, but before it was so pervasive uh, with the wealth of, you know, information and technology is, you know, you have Annie Wilkes, this character who her day is just wrecked when she finishes Paul Sheldon's uh, final misery novel and comes to learn that she dies. Like, like she literally, <laughs> like she trashes the room that he's living in and it just, and goes nuts. Um, and like forces him on threat of death to write a new book with a different ending that brings her back. And then he tries to bring her back and she's not happy with the way that he brings her back at first. Like, uh, I can't remember if that part is included in the movie or not, but she's like, no, it's not real. Like I, I remember going to see these serial movies, uh, at the, you know, the dime theater as a kid. And, you know, they'd always have these cheap cliffhangers and you knew like, at the end, like, you know, despite whatever cliffhanger, you know, that person was always going to come back at the end, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, for the next movie. And, uh, and so she was, you know, she's like there literally telling him how to write his book. Yeah. And it's great. Like that book was written in 87, I think. And here we are in 2023. And that's basically part of internet culture is yeah. like a bunch of fuckheads on Twitter bullying uh writers and directors uh and producers into making a movie a certain way. It's like yeah. fuck off. Like l- give them enough trust to to do their thing. Like quit dictating like what it should be. Just shut the fuck up and be happy with what you get. So yeah. anyways, sorry, soapbox moment over. I dig it. <laughs> I mean, I I definitely get upset at times when I'm like, stupid, that was a dumb right. way. Like, we were talking about Scream 6, right. and I won't spoil anything, but fucking hated the ending. And at, at the same token, though, I loved everything else, and I'm like, mm. you know what? Whatever. That yeah. That is what it is. Uh, if that's the route they want to go, then that's fine. But right. I still enjoyed the movie as a whole. Mm. Uh, but so for Last Action Hero, my theory, and this is what I was thinking about, is that uh, the movie focuses on the theme about the damage that is done when you grow up as a boy, specifically a boy without a father in your life. Danny doesn't have a father in his life, and they make that apparent from the get-go. And he sneaks out. I mean, the kid gets a, he, he gets mugged, goes to the police station. What does he do? He doesn't go home. He goes to a fucking movie theater. It's his <laughs> escape. It's his, right. his way to deal with his trauma. And... His parent, his surrogate father, is Jack Slater. It, it it helps him escape. I mean, I lost my dad when I was young, and I'll I'll just tell you that I have found ways to grow up to be a man, quote unquote, and to look at surrogate father figures through works of fiction and and vicariously through friends and people that I know. So I mean, I could see that. I mean, to a point, I've never been sucked into a movie screen before, but. I think there's a lot of metaphors that go into that. And I I think that once he comes into the life, you know, you get that wonderful scene with Irene and Jack staying up all night, just talking Mm. and Jack kind of, kind of um, reprimands Danny for, for lying to his mom and not saying all these things. And, you know, she's on, he, he's on Irene's side. And so he's just like, great. I made him a wussy. It's like, (laughs) dude, this is, this is like your dad. So I think that the movie could be a theme of it could be the damage that is done to, to boys that grow up without a father in their life. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's an excellent, um, excellent takeaway. I never even thought of that. So I'm glad you weighed in with that. 
we could go on forever about that. I mean, I can, that's why I love analyzing film is because you can just break down any fucking movie you can think of. You could, you could mm-hmm. break down Clueless and find a meaning behind it. And there, there are plenty of meanings because that movie's fantastic, but it is fantastic. You know what I'm talking about. So it also has Paul Rudd at uh, uh, 18 slash 50 slash the same age that he always is. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so John McTiernan, he directed this movie, Last Action Hero. He is an action-directing legend. Uh, he did The Hunt for Red October, Predator, and Die Hard, to name a few. I mean, Die Hard is like one of the best action films of all time. It's right. one of the most renowned action films of all time, and same thing with Predator. He's a man with a fi- with his finger on the pulse of the action genre. Um, so it may seem hard for him to pivot to something like metacinema or comedy. But could this movie have been directed by anyone else, in your opinion? Um, so I think so. I think he was definitely best suited for this. I, I don't. Uh, um, I don't know if any other directors were up for the uh, the potential role of uh, directing this movie. But I do think he was probably the most suited at the time. Um. You know, I, I think I texted you earlier about this, whether you meant, um, you know, directors that at the time could have done this. So I, I tried to teeter the the line of both of directors at the time mm-hmm. and directors that are, you know, like directing stuff nowadays that, you know, theoretically, if they were to release it now. Um, so Rob Reiner, I think um, oh, he, yeah. he did uh, Misery. He did Princess Bride. Um, he, so he's a very versatile director. Like he's a guy who gets the 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 theme and the the nuances. Like he understands the uh, the project. Like he knows what to do um, and can curtail accordingly. Because like the Princess Bride, like it's. It, it, I mean, we've all seen the meme. It's like every single film genre, but I, I think uh, above and beyond, it is you know a romance tale, oh, and great. yeah, and then he also puts out misery with one of the most horrific um, bludgeoning scenes of all time, um, and it's not even to a head; it's just to a foot. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, so I, I think that he could he could have done a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Um, Ben Stiller with him doing Tropic Tropic Thunder. You know, we mentioned that that was uh, also uh, you know a, a meta style film, uh, and then maybe James Gunn because James Gunn uh, is really good with um, like very uh, soft, poignant moments, very emotional beats, and this film has all of those um and it plus it's got action and you know james gunn he's done stuff with both marvel and dc now and has proved uh you know his uh, directing chops in the arena of action and you know soft poignant moments so yeah I, i think he would be pretty good as well so i like those choices and especially rob reiner i mean he so eclectic in in his style and how he was directing i mean there's a run in there too when he does it from okay 1984 he does this is spinal tap 85 the sure thing 86 stand by me 87 Mm -hmm. the princess bride 89 when harry met sally so you're jumping from like you know coming of age tale you got mockumentary then coming of age tale and then a uh kind of like fantastical 
uh, children's story slash just feel good movie and then a, ro- a romance movie and then you go to misery a horror film and then you go to a few good men in 92 north in 94 the american president in 95 ghosts of mississippi in 96 um and then he kind of peters off there a little bit but that is an incredible 10-year run where i've seen all those movies and like just a great job so i think that that would be really cool to see what rob reiner could do with this mm-hmm. movie um, and to add some action, especially like you're saying with Princess Bride and kind yeah. of making fun of that story tale or fairy tale kind of storytelling. Um, yeah. So, OK, I could see that. James Gunn, I am not as fanboy as everyone else is with him, but sure. he does know how to make a fun ensemble cast film. And mm-hmm. so, like, I still haven't seen Guardians 3 yet, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to see it just because he's done a great job. And he actually did a really good job with the, the Suicide Squad um, Redux remake, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Just uh, throw away the previous one and do this <laughs> one. What are we, bring some back kind of, the hashtag kind of bring back squad? the cut. Oh, boy. No, I'd never want to see that movie ever again. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it wasn't great. I just, you know, I, I think it's important it, that the director have a good grasp on the genre and so mm-hmm. people like rob reiner or unicorn because he can kind of do it all but with mctiernan like he knows action and so right. it's cool for him to call out the tropes and the things that occur in it and just to be self-referential so that's why i think he was such a perfect choice for this mm-hmm. so i could see someone like a james cameron doing a movie like this and doing big big budget stuff for small budget payoffs and like just kind of being like, why are we spending all that? Where's where's this money coming from? Right. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's that's pretty smart, too. Yeah. So finally, David, why don't we have giant action stars the likes of Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger anymore? Can we ever get back to that 80s action blockbuster era? So this is kind of funny. Um, I'm actually going to refute and say that we do still have plenty of big action stars today, um, respectfully, mm-hmm. of course. Um, so um, the problem is, uh, or the issue, I'd, I'd say, is that we we watched Arnold, Sly, and Bruce Willie with much younger eyes. Um, yes. You know, we saw movies like Predator, Rocky, um, you know, Die Hard. Uh, we all saw them as kids and we took the movies for what they were. We saw these big action stunts, um, you know, these top build names doing amazing things, saying awesome one liners um, and all this stuff. And we, like we were at that ripe age of like just being right in the cut of like where we'd appreciate it the most. And then you grow up with it and, you know, and, and it's just like, it ages like fine wine. So, you know, you, you, you can understand more of the faults, but you still like, um, you still hold it in very high regard because it has that nostalgic, um, feeling attached to it. Um, but you know, I, I feel like effectively the torch has been passed on, um, to the likes of, you know, actors like Jason Momoa, The Rock, Vin Diesel, uh, John Cena, and Chris Hemsworth, just, you know, to name a couple. Uh, so now we have these guys and, you know, they have pretty similar careers. Uh, they do big, dumb, fun movies where you can turn off your brain and just enjoy the show. And, you know, they also 
uh, venture out and do more introspective and thoughtful films as well. So um, I don't think it's, you know, it's a matter of not having any more big action stars, big action blockbusters. It's just a matter of perspective, more or less. So that's that's just my two cents. I do kind of understand where you're coming from with the question being asked. But like I said, that's that's just my my two cents. It's I, I think for me, when I think of action blockbusters, because all those names, you're right, like the Hemsworth, um, even throwing Batista, Dave Batista in there, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, but he's proven that he's just an all around good actor in yeah, general. Knock at the sure. cabin. He was the best part of knock at the cabin. Oh, yeah. Was fantastic. So, yeah, looking at the John Cena, who who's really funny, but he is kind of just the same type of actor. Uh, the Rock, even I love The Rock, but his movies suck. He's probably The Rock is probably the closest thing we have to a 80s style action star where he's a marquee name where his name alone will make you come see the movie. And that's mm-hmm. what I think of, like with blockbusters, Avengers, all those, uh, and, you know, Avengers Endgame and all the other Marvel movies. Yeah, those are blockbusters, but those were part of a whole. Those were all parts of a giant whole that was uh, going to be the culmination of something. Um but we just don't get other than Mission Impossible. We just don't have these huge action blockbusters. Look at like the one sixty five that just came out a little bit ago with Adam Driver, where it was supposed to kind of be like Jurassic Park and sci fi mixed together. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, it flopped and like no one saw it. I think it's out now. And I'm like, I still don't even want to watch it on streaming. But, <laughs> you know, Adam Driver is not that name that draws it. Um, I also look at like Chris Pratt, who I can't fucking stand, but <laughs> He wants so badly to be the next big action star. And we see that a lot, like his Amazon Prime movie that was there and then just whatever else pops up. Um, So I I guess I'm not seeing a lot of people in our generation who are blockbuster marquee action stars that Mm -hmm. it's like you go out and you're like, holy shit, true lies is coming up. This looks amazing because this is Arnold and it's action. Um, But part of that is because we have the Internet now and a lot of things are spoiled and we we have so much content. So it's the blockbuster itself has just changed like theaters like you and I have talked about several times. The theater experience is vastly different from what it was. And I don't think it'll ever go back to that. Yeah, um, that is that is actually a great point uh, about like the Internet uh, where you were just saying, like, there's just so much to watch now. I think that's. Uh, a big hindrance on the theater experience is that like, you know, there's so much streaming you're, you're like, you know, why go out to the movies when I could just stream stuff at home? Um, I can pirate it if I'm feeling, uh, lucky. Um, or I could just wait four to six weeks and, you know, and, and buy it for the same price that I'd have to, spend the movie or the money on to go see it at, at the theater. Uh, whereas in the eighties and nineties, the theater was like this big deal, uh, where like, you know, you'd go with your family or your friends and, you know, it, it was like this big, big event, this big deal where you'd all go and you'd watch like the next Arnold movie or, you know, the, you know, like you said, the, just the next blockbuster. So it was a, it was a bigger a bigger deal than it kind of is now. Whereas like going to the movies, it's, 
you know, like the pandemic just ruined everything. Um, And I I don't mean, you know, obviously it was tragic for many reasons. And the movie theater uh, experience being affected by that is one of the lowest things on the totem pole in terms of the severity of the impact that the pandemic had. But it did have an impact. And, you know, there's several things that happened. Um, But, you know, like I said, one of the biggest ones was just making people lazy. And like, you know, now that like theaters open back up and people are excited to go, but now like we really only go for like the next Marvel movie or whatever. Um, And I mean, it pisses me off because like, that's what's released in theaters now. Like uh, it, it doesn't make any sense because the, you know, there's 10 movies that get elected as the best film of the year. And how many of those are like independent features like that hit like a hundred theaters when they were released, right. you know, as opposed to Marvel movies that get released in a million theaters, you know, so like that doesn't make any fucking sense to me. It never has. Like, why is it so hard to see these movies that are up for best picture of the year? Like, mm-hmm. They should be more accessible. Um, mm-hmm. And I have no idea about the inner workings of the film industry and the business aspect. I'm sure there's uh, plenty of reasons why it doesn't work out the way that I'd like it to. But um, yeah, that's, that's, you know, a whole separate thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we are in agreement with that, with uh, the theater aspect and the killing of the action blockbuster. I just don't think we can ever get to that point anymore. I mean, yeah. Spider-Man uh, across Spider-Verse comes out, you know, tomorrow, technically mm. I will go see it, but I'm almost like, I'm just going to wait for a matinee to watch it. I don't need to do midnight showing or a late night showing to go yeah. watch it. Even though I'm very excited for that movie. It's just, it's sure. just hard nowadays. Yeah. yeah. I get it. Okay. Well, those are all the questions I had. So let me hear your hottest take. I want you to defend uh, your most controversial take on this movie, on movies of this genre, on actors, on directors, on anything from this era, whatever you want to bring up um, related-ish to this movie. Go ahead. Sure. So I know I've discussed it previously on both your podcast and mine. Uh, and it's come up just a little bit in this episode as well. Um, I am a Fast and Furious apologist, um, and <laughs> I will see those movies as long as they keep making them. Um, people laugh and scoff about how they're so ridiculous, and I agree. They are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, like I said, they went to space in Fast 9, um, and there's no reason for that. But like, they're just... You know, at this point in time, I'm, you know, pun intended, like just along for the ride. Uh, Like I said, as long as they keep making them, I'll go see them. Um, I'm one of three people on planet Earth that enjoys Brie Larson and her work. Uh, So I was excited to see that she was in this. Um, I've heard that it's not great. uh, The the Fast 10 movie, but, you know, it'll be a streaming movie for me. You know, I'll I'll wait until Mm -hmm. it hits streaming services or DVD VHS. Um, so I can pick it up that way. Um, so, uh, yeah, that is, um, that is kind of my hot take is like, I, 
I will actively admit that the franchise has gone off the rails and the movies are, you know, there hasn't been a good one since I think fast five, I think. I like six and seven actually. Yeah. Like when they were doing like heist shit, um, you know, and they like robbed the bank in, where was it? Like uh, Brazil. Yeah. That was five. Wherever. Yeah. That, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah um, apparently that's supposed to be where Jason Momoa's character comes from. And yeah, the, the he's, he's like the son. He's the son of the bad guy in that one. And right. uh, yeah, I, I already had it spoiled for me because I was like, I'm not going to go see it in theaters. I'm also with you. I'm waiting to stream because I also mm. am a big fast, fast and furious fan. I own right. them all. Um, and I just love to watch them because they're just fun and stupid. Yeah. Exactly. Nine was terrible, in my opinion. <laughs> it was um, not good. <laughs> it was so bad. And yeah. I just, I don't know. That's why I sent you that video of Vin Diesel and Justin Lin. And one of the comments, the reason I found that video was, it looks like Justin Lin is being held hostage because he just does <laughs> not want to be filmed. So watch it again. And like, he just like does not want to be filmed and answer these questions. Because shortly after that, he actually exited the project. Um, and oh, there's, wow. a YouTube, there's a YouTube channel I use, or I watch called heavy spoilers and he uses that clip of vin going ooh all the time <laughs> at the very end and it's it's just been living rent free in my head for a long time and i'm like this is so funny <laughs> this goes ooh in, in only a vin diesel type of way but i'm with you man i i think that if you have an ip like that and you can exploit it just like mission impossible i will watch mission impossibles until tom cruise dies because i think mm-hmm. he has a death wish and i think he's gonna die doing a movie and like, why not go out doing what you love? Um, so those exactly. movies, you know, they're on what Mission Impossible eight now, which is a two parter. I'm still yeah. I'm still going to go see that. Like, I'm so Absolutely. excited for it. Yeah. So and the same goes for Fast and the Furious. It sounds like they're going to make a trilogy for these final ones. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <sighs> it's yeah, going to be it- fast triple X. And then Xander Cage is going to come into the film from triple <sighs> X. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Yeah. Fast and Furious. What about um, what about my, you? What's your hot take? So my hot take is this: this is just an idea that Danny was actually in a coma after he got mugged. That oh. he got mugged and jumped, and he never went to the police station. He was in the hospital, so everything from after he got mugged and handcuffed was all a dream. Everything else was all a dream, which which would explain why it was so far fetched that all this shit happened, and that Danny is in a coma the entire time. That's like a rockadoodle uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> take on it. It's uh, it's interesting, but I that's just I mean I think it it could it could work out like that. Um, yeah. I mean you could pick you could do that left and right. Um, you could say that Nick is actually make believe and Danny just runs off to an abandoned theater and he actually doesn't <laughs> watch movies. Like why the hell is, are Danny's hands all like cut up? He has like scrapes and and everything on his hands. I'm like what is he doing? Is he a drug addict? But. <laughs> Yeah. So that's my hot take. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. I can dig it. Letter grade for Last Action Hero. David, what do you got? Uh, you know, I'll give this um, let's see. I was about to give it a star rating. I'm hooked into my letterbox, my brain. <laughs> um, I'll give this I'll give this a B. Yeah, oh. I'll give I'll give this a B. Yeah. Okay. 
So I'm 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 there with you. I'm a B plus though. I absolutely okay. love this movie. I think it's smarter than what people give it credit for, and I want people to yeah. watch it more and more. Um, it is not Arnold's best, but I love the crap out of it, and I think it is one of my favorites of of his at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's a B plus for me. Yeah. Okay, David, thank you so much again as always. I love having you on the show. Love Why don't you tell here. the lovely folks where we can find you on the social medias? Uh, yeah. So like I said at the top, uh, host the geek garage podcast, we are on all podcast uh, platforms. Um, we are on the big three on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, but we are the most active on Facebook. We have a Facebook group called uh, Facebook or the uh, Facebook, the geek garage podcast fans and listeners. Um, where we have, uh, almost, uh, daily discussions and, uh, posts and polls and all kinds of fun content on there where we gather new ideas for episodes. We actually haven't had an episode in about a month or so. So just fair warning. Um, we just, my, uh, mine and my wife's lives have been absolutely fucking crazy, uh, here <laughs> lately. Uh, so we haven't been able to record. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, doesn't mean that you can't still go and subscribe and like and uh, listen to our content. So exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you can do. Yep. Um, Cool. Well, yeah, love the show. Love having you on. It's always great to to speak with you about the movie films. And you're always like, go check out this horror movie or this Stephen King book, which I am like nine weeks out on Libby to get the audio book for. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a good one. Uh, you know, not my personal favorite, but it's a mm-hmm. uh, it's shorter of his uh, his works. It's about twelve hours um, on audiobook. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that's pretty short. I, I don't think I've uh, encountered any anything less than that. I think Gerald's game was around that maybe like mm-hmm. ten or eleven hours. But yeah, it is like forty. Yeah two or 44 hours and then the stand is like 47 hours um it's insane so yeah i own it i got it on google books like for free and i'm like holy crap this is long yeah <laughs> it's I mean, good but it is long <laughs> yeah i i i wish i had the time and opportunities to sit down and actually read but audiobooks just work so much better for me since i do a lot of crafting and I have a, you know, a side hustle with crafts and stuff. So it's just easier mm-hmm. for me to, you know, put an earbud in and listen to shit while I'm, while I'm working and twerking. Working and twerking like yeah. Megan the Stallion. I like yeah, it. Exactly. Okay. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, tell us we are crazy, or just send us funny memes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Additionally, we're also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy.